0: Welcome to My Limited View. with me, Sergio Novoa, where we share stories and expand our views. We all, all have us. a story. What's, what's, what's yours? yours? What's yours? All right, you guys, welcome back to My Limited View. Today I have a special guest coming in. His name is Caleb Cameron. As if you guys have heard previous episodes, you know my views on religion, they could be a little tricky. For me, based on my experience. And Caleb had a very unique uh, story. Once he told me, I was like, oh, wow, I need to interview him. So, welcome, Caleb Cameron.
1: Hey, Sergio, nice to be here. Thank you so much for doing
0: this. How's how your day?
1: It's going really well, pretty relaxed, actually.
0: Nice. I want a relaxed day. There aren't enough relaxed days. Say. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we are going to talk about religion because, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a Catholic household where religion was used to control and manipulate and made me feel guilty of things that I have no control of. But you had a completely different experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, so You grew up yeah. in a religious household.
1: Yes, we were very religious. My dad is a minister. My aunt was a Bible college professor. My mom and my grandmother were both the church secretaries. So we were always in the church and um, that's all I knew from the time I was young. But I also really believed it. Um, I, I loved the church and I, it wasn't like a manipulation thing for me. Um, I just really believed it and loved Jesus and, and all of that from the time I was very young.
0: Well, that's good. You know, it's so funny, the different experiences. I would go to church and I would see the people who would always sit in the front and they were always very nice and sweet. But then you took them out of church and they were awful. And I remember <laughs> at seven or eight thinking to myself, something's not making sense here. How are they so kind at church? And they were awful out of church. So when how old were you, the youngest that you remember, kind of thinking, Oh, I like this?
1: Um, well, I was really young. I mean, we were going to like church camps, and my mom would have us sing. Me and my brothers, we would <laughs> we would sing for people. So for me, it was always, it was something that we always did. And um, so, you know, five or six years old, I remember uh, liking going to church and we would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, uh, Friday night, social events. Uh, so for me, it was always, it was just part of my life and there were fun parts of it and kind of boring parts of it. But overall, I didn't get any, I know a lot of people were like, oh, this is boring or it's uh, not for me, but I, I, I don't know. I just liked it.
0: (laughs) Now you like this so much that you pursued a career. You were becoming a worship minister.
1: Yeah. I went to Bible college, a small Bible college in Kansas, uh, 300 people. And um, you know, I was um, went there for five years and pursued basically a music ministry degree just to be a worship minister.
0: Now what is I grew up Catholic? So we have priests. What's, the difference between a worship minister and a priest?
1: Well, you're basically like a minister, like the preaching minister, like a priest. You're seen as that. But what you focus on is the music part of the the service. So you do all of the, you lead the singing, you put together the bands, you put together all of the praise and worship and all of that kind of stuff. So you focus on kind of the music and drama and all of that for the worship service instead of preaching. So
0: a theater major, basically, you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, wait, exactly. where do you fit this? Oh, got it.
1: So you're it was my f- my form of going to Broadway.
0: There you go. So <laughs> you're basically would be almost responsible on presenting the package in a way that people are entertained by it,
1: but also exactly. educated. Yes.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I do not have a singing voice. I barely have a speaking voice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I would when I went to church, there were certain things that just became kind of a ritual and I remember I did I think it's called communion I did my communion and I had so many questions that the priest was looking at me like who planted this kid in here because it wasn't making sense to me so I would ask it's like how yeah. do you know this and they're like well because we believe that go, yeah but how do you know that so I'm sure I was not the best student so <laughs> you said you went to school for five years mm-hmm. to do this and then at one point you decided to kind of walk away from it. And what made you walk away?
1: Well, I I walked away after I actually became a minister. I went to school for five years, graduated, was hired as a worship minister for two years, and then I walked away.
0: And then you walked away. So you completed the whole process. And what made you walk away?
1: Um, I was just uh, it, it did being gay just didn't go away. <laughs> I tried and tried and I tried for for 15 years to pray it away to, um, I went to those ex gay ministry things for a year. Um, and it just, you know, I, all the things that we do in kind of dark avenues, I was doing that more and more trying to find gay experiences and I couldn't, I, it just wasn't going away. So I, I had to be honest with myself and, and deal with it. I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to walk away from the church, but the reality that I was living wasn't letting me reconcile these two things that were in in complete contrast in my life.
0: Yes. I mean, in the Christian religion, if we're going to use the term Christian as someone who believes in the Bible, yeah, the whole being gay and being Christian don't coexist. So you said earlier that you were how did you face it? Dark alleys or dark ways?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I saw them as at the time. But, you know, like going to find a porn magazine or something just to to get that, you know, my fix, I guess, um, because it. i I didn't have any sex. I didn't have anybody that I knew that was gay. So for me, all of these things were kind of, dark seedy things and I didn't want to be going down those avenues because I knew it would honestly I knew it would turn into some sort of scandal for the church and I didn't want to bring that on the church either
0: yeah and I think something that a lot of people tend to overlook is when you put an individual in an environment where they cannot authentically be themselves that person will unfortunately look for ways that are Not good for their ego, not good for their self esteem, which leads to shame. And then that shameful feeling leads to more shameful behavior. And a lot of people think that being gay, you know, if you still believe that gay is a choice, I mean, I don't know what (laughs) to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. But they overlook the fact that, that, you know, a straight, a heterosexual male or female can go to school, have a crush, act on that crush you know, have their first kiss or hold their first hand at the age of 14, whatever it is, gay people don't have that. They don't have mm-hmm. that freedom, especially if you're living in Kansas. I mean,
1: yeah. It's, I, you know. Well, I remember my, you know, when they talk about that first kiss and those fireworks and, and I remember it wasn't until I was 25 and I went out on a date with a guy and just having my hand on his hand during the movie, I felt those fireworks. And I was like, Oh my God, that's what it's supposed to feel like. And I didn't have that for those, you know, 15 formative years. Yeah. Like you said.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I remember the first time I kissed a boy and spoiler alert, I liked it. Um, (laughs) It was, yes, it was, I had kissed girls before and you know, what was interesting for me too. And I don't know if this was your situation I was really conflicted because one, all I ever heard about gay people is that gay people were bad. And I remember not knowing what gay was, but I do remember consciously thinking, boy, whatever gay is, I sure don't want to be that. So that was one feeling I had. And the second was, I had only seen male-female partnerships. So I thought that's the path I have to go. So I was confused because I found myself attracted to women. So I was like, oh, I can't be gay. Because gay men don't like women and I'm attracted to this woman. And now with non-binary and gender non-conforming and sex fluidity, it's amazing. A lot of younger kids can now look out and there's just so many different categories. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm more like this. I definitely did not have that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I remember my, I mean, my brothers just constantly asked me, do you like this girl? Who's your girlfriend? You, do you like this girl? And it was just that for me, it was just constantly... That was my only option from the time I was five because my brothers were so (laughs) into girls that that's what they kind of forced on me. And I remember in the in the 80s when I was growing up, the only and I love him now, but I remember being so afraid of the image of boy George, because that was one of the only images of homosexuality that was so out in front of us at the time in the mid 80s. And, you know, kudos to him for being himself at the time. But for me, I knew that wasn't me.
0: And you know, I know exactly what you mean. When I was younger, people would tell me that I looked like Ricky Martin. And there was <laughs> always this rumor about Ricky Martin being gay. So in my mind, I was like, oh, my God, I, I don't want to look like Ricky Martin because everyone thinks Ricky Martin's gay and I don't want them to think I'm gay. So yeah. and I finally like I never understood it. And then one year I was like I was maybe a senior in high school and I was walking through the, supermarket and he was on the cover of a magazine and i analyzed his face i go okay there are little things that we have we have like the same eye shape we have both have a normal face he has a beautiful chin and a gorgeous nose i'm a thing i have a thing for noses so i was like i kind of see the connection and you know it was so bad that i found out my name in russian is sergey and thinking Oh. oh my god that can't be my name in russian people are gonna think i'm gay and i hope that anyone who's listening who's a parent or who has a gay sibling or it's just a heterosexual person walking on this earth, you never have to worry about that. And as a gay person, you know, and I do stand-up comedy, every time I go up on stage, I have to analyze and think, how many men are in the audience? How are they gonna react when they figure out I'm gay? Because they either want you to be the stereotype, a hey girl, sister, what's up? Or they want you to be a construction worker. And it's like, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. I could gate up, I can whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's a thought that crosses my mind every time I see a group of guys. It's like, oh, what are they going to say? How are they going to react? So it's interesting to hear that.
1: It's this extra filter that you have to have.
0: Not only filter, but then we have been told at a very young age that what we are is not acceptable. So Mm -hmm. we subconsciously start editing ourselves. So at 25, so in your church, being gay and being a worship minister, we're not going to work. Or is that a conclusion you came to?
1: No, it was it was definite. Um, I mean, and you'll see when I tell you actually what happened. I knew that it wasn't that it would not work, and um, and so in my mind it was very clear that I had to choose one or the other. And it was sad because um, not only did I study for that for the five years, but when I did it, I was really good at it. I loved it. I loved it so much. And like I said, it was my Broadway. I was, you know, writing musicals, I was writing youth musicals, I was writing adult dramas, and I was producing these things for a church of like 3000 people. And so you can imagine the, the stage time that I had, I was leading, leading worship services, I was producing things and, and I had a lot of respect. And I had a lot, my identity was, was all in that stage presence. And when I left, you know, the premise of me leaving in at first in 2000 was just to go get another job because, you know, I was interviewing at these other places around the country. But then when I didn't take any of those jobs and I started telling people that I was going to focus on myself and then I said, you know, I'm gay and I'm trying to figure this out. I immediately overnight over the period of about two weeks that I told the main core of people that I was friends with, I went from being so well-respected and on stage every weekend to being relegated to the sound booth. They still wanted me to help, but I couldn't be anywhere near the stage. And that for me was, it was one of the most difficult uh, things because I had done something really important for me, but in their eyes, I just became this immediate disappointment.
0: Was it interesting, and I think this is one of the problems I have with religion, is that we're fine as long as our views are not conflicting. As soon as they, we, they conflict, we're no longer fine. And it's like, wait, you preach this love and acceptance and God is good and God is love until we have this, uh, disagreeing views and then it's a problem. How did your yeah. family react
1: to you coming out? Uh, my family's still reacting. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, they've been very supportive of me as a person and we get along and it's kind of like we don't, you know, it's something that we agree to disagree upon uh, for the last 20 years. Um, But, you know, I have the two older brothers. One of them is pretty much an atheist and he loves and respects me and all my choices. And then my oldest brother is is a doctor uh, from seminary, a theological seminary. So he's very Uh, very fundamentalist Christian still. And, you know, he, he's very supportive. Obviously he does not agree with, he still doesn't agree with the homosexuality thing. And, and you were mentioning earlier about the Bible verses that speak to homosexuality. I mean, he's studied the Greek, he studied the Hebrew. And so he could lay out all of the things biblically and the translations and what his interpretation of it is and where he thinks it's, still a sin to be homosexual and um so yeah it's it's difficult to have those conversations with him so we don't anymore yeah but um yeah it's my family is still very fundamentalist christian except for me and my brother so we just kind of continue to get along and have christmas together
0: (laughs) you function within the dysfunction of them not accepting you for who you are yes now some people in your space will cut them off completely because it's this thing of, if you're going to accept me and love me, then you're going to accept and love all of me. You didn't yeah. do that. You can still engage.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, my being a homosexual hasn't been the only obstacle that we've overcome as a family. So. Um,
0: <laughs> He's like, I have a long list of problems.
1: <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of dysfunction and going on. And so, um, There's my dysfunction. There's, you know, so um, I, we've all been through different things. And so we just continue to support each other in as to the level, to the degree that we can.
0: And that's, you know, and that's, that is another option. I know some people who will cut people off completely. And I understand that whatever you need to do to protect yourself, by all means do it. And then there are people who find this happy medium of like, hey, this is still my family. I still want to be around them. This is how we're going to cope with this. So that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I would say, yeah, some people don't have families that are even cordial. So yeah, if you're, if people are not treating you well, you definitely have to cut them off. But I would say my family does not treat me disrespectfully at all. So there never came a point where I felt like I had to protect myself from them.
0: So prior to 25 and realizing that you needed to walk away, how did you navigate being gay? Did you act on it? What did you, what was your world like prior to accepting it? um
1: it was it was very lonely um, in my head. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't know anybody who was gay. I never talked about it um, and i I was always praying about it, and I you know cried a lot, yes. <laughs> and I just wanted to be normal. I thought that that normal was being straight, and i you know. Just prayed and prayed and prayed. And then there was a time I did reach out to my one of my ministers when I was about 17, 18, and it's funny how that happened. I actually decided to not to come out, but to let people know. It was kind of like this conviction thing. I decided to let people know that I was struggling with being gay. So I wrote this letter. And I asked the, this, the preaching minister at my home church if I, could, if I could read it and in front of the congregation at the end. And so I did. I, was, I had just turned 18, and I read this letter, and basically it kind of rambled on about things that they knew about my childhood and whatnot. But then at the end it said, and now I've come to realize that I struggle with homosexuality, and it's something that I need help with. So I read this in front of my entire congregation at 18 and my grandmother was in the front, in the front row. So they kind of all and, and my five best friends were also in the congregation at the church. So they kind of knew that I had but some feelings. Yeah, but it, I don't know how, but it was like after that day everyone just kind of put it in a category of it's something that I had a a phase with and that i was going through and so it was never talked about again so it was like i became straight to them and then i just continued to go through it on my own
0: selective hearing so i mean at least at 18 you you know credit given were deserved bravo to you for being able to put this together i didn't quite have that ability and and, but it's amazing that even you doing that they heard what they needed to hear and still kept you in the closet so How was it at 25 choosing to walk away? Because this is all you know. This is what you grew up in. And you at a very young age. You wanted to do this. How does yeah. one walk away from that?
1: Um, my, my, the deal that I made with myself and with God at the time was that I was going to go into the gay community and kind of uh, see what it was all about and experience it for two years. And then the idea, what I thought was going to happen was it was going to, you know, be really difficult. And I was going to go through all of the horrible experiences that I'd been dreading for all these 15 years. And then I was going to hit rock bottom and God was going to heal me. And then I was going to go back to being a minister. (laughs) That was my plan when I left the church. So that's kind of how, how I justified it.
0: What horrible experiences that you think you were going to have
1: um well I guess all of those things that I had you know all the things that you hear on TV about going out and partying and and orgies and all of those things that you just that's what I thought I was going to do so and those
0: are all the fun things about being gay what are you talking about I know I know <laughs>
1: Well, now I, now, now I see it that way. Now, look at me. I have a 24-hour pass. Um, <laughs>
0: so, you didn't, so I remember go, struggling, thinking, A, I'm going to die alone. B, I'm going to die of AIDS. Uh, mm. C, I'm going to burn in hell. So yeah. I remember the first time I saw two men holding hands. I was I lived in San Francisco. I was on the 24 Divisadero. The bus broke down at 18 Van Castro. That is like the aorta of the gate village. You yeah. And I remember I was about maybe 18 or 19 and I saw guys holding hands and I was like, Oh my God, fucking sinners. They're going to burn in hell. How gross fast forward, you know, at 20, I kissed a boy and I was like, Oh my God, what is this feeling? So I had a lot of brainwashing to undo when I came out. Did you have to experience that? How was.
1: Yes. I, um, like I said, for the first, for, from the time I was 25 to 29, I, I basically still considered myself a, a Christian, but I was in the gay community, and I, um, I did what I said I was going to do. I came out in May, and by July of 2000, I was, I was stripping in gay bars at, in Denver. And that's a I rite of like,
0: passage, oh. by the way. That's a rite of passage of being gay. And also, <laughs> for the audience, this is not a visual thing, but you're, you're very tall. How tall are you? I'm 6'4". Yeah, so you're six four. So the tallest ever dated is six seven, which is nothing to do with this conversation, but it made me think <laughs> of it. So you're six four. What we would consider in the gay world, and this is one of the stigmas that gay people have to deal with, you are quote unquote straight passing. At a glance, they wouldn't quite figure out you're gay until they really pay attention to you. So you right. have that some people would say benefit that you can blend in with society. You don't necessarily have the gay voice. Your mannerisms are not necessarily that. That you're like, oh yeah, he's a designer. Like no, you you can blend in. So that can be helpful and hurtful depending on where you sit.
1: It's interesting that you say that because all my life I've considered that a benefit and I've had to undo that thinking because you don't, because we automatically have grown up thinking that it's somehow bad to have feminine mannerisms and somehow good to have masculine mannerisms. And, and that's not, I, I have a lot more feminine mannerisms now and I, love them. You know what I mean? I try to express them more. but
0: And you're absolutely right. And this speaks to the implicit bias that we suffer from as a society in general, but also what gay people have to navigate. It's like, oh, if you are straight passing, it's considered a plus. A lot of people will put in their profile, oh, looking for a masculine man. And when I see those things, I feel like what internalized homophobia have you not processed that your only qualifier for a good person is if they're masculine or if they're passing Don't get me wrong. I tend to be attracted to men who are a little taller than me, um, who, you know, have a nice piece and can take a good beating. I'm like, (laughs) I I get it. I I understand there are things we like, you know, but that being said, when you only see a person as that, it's like, oh, you're missing out on so much of this individual. So you come out and you're like, I'm going to try this for two years. Let me go into stripping or becoming a go-go boy. (laughs) So what was, how was it? from being isolated and lonely to all of a sudden being on a stage and you have everyone gawking at you.
1: Um, well, I had been on stage. It was just a different stage. I went to. <laughs> yes. true, very true. very um, And it was, I, I remember the first, it was that summer that I started doing it and um, I would go into the bar and you, you know, you change downstairs with all of the other guys and then you would go up and do your set. And in those first, few moments every time i would go it was like it was tuesday two it was tuesday thursday friday and saturday nights and i would go in and i'd have two long island iced teas in order to be able to to do what i needed to do that night because the the guilt that i was feeling and just being there was so overwhelming um that i had to numb that
0: and and again here's here's another perfect example when you force someone or, or you don't allow someone to be who they are They have to find ways to cope and reconcile this. And again, here we go with shameful belief, shameful behavior, which sends leads you down the path of more shameful behavior. Because I remember I used to have this thing where I would say, oh, if something bad happened to me, I would say, oh, God must be punishing me for something that I've done in the past. And it wasn't until I started reading Eckhart Tolle that I realized that mindset, it's me being brainwashed to think that my behavior is bad. My behavior's not bad. I am just a person living. And it took a long time for me to over like get rid of that mindset. So you would drink two Long Island Iced teas. So you could A do it and not feel the shame that came with.
1: Yeah. And then wow. and then later that night or the next morning, I would feel all of that shame coming, coming back on top of me with a hangover as well. So oh, lovely. <laughs> it was Not it only was am a I wonderful. bloated,
0: but I feel bad.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. wow.
0: And again, I, I hope anyone who's listening to this right now, this is what gay people deal with. And right now you talked about two Long Island iced teas. Other people seek other remedies, things that are mm-hmm. a lot stronger. And I really believe this is part of the reason why the gay community has troubles when it comes to addiction, because some of us, and I was fortunate that this was not my issue, turn to alcohol drugs anything to numb away the pain anything to numb away the loneliness and if we would allow people to be themselves we wouldn't turn to these things
1: yeah we, we, we would cope well it wasn't too long after i was stripping that it was probably the new year of that next year that i i did discover ecstasy and i and at that time i actually found some friends that i'm still friends with today and they were really mentors for me um, and we did they they kind of introduced me to dabbling in the in the drug scene which became a problem for me but um you know at the same time being friends with them and seeing their um genuine Genuine. well not even that they were just beautiful people that I couldn't deny that they were living well and they were happy and that they weren't hung up on all of this guilt and shame like I had been and they taught me so much in a short time Yeah. Um, just by, they weren't, they weren't, you know, giving me lessons or anything. They were just being themselves and yeah. just being around them taught me so much um, You're about right.
0: yeah. how to be
1: happy and how not to be ashamed of yourself.
0: I remember encountering people who were, especially when they were younger than me, I would look at them and think, wow, how do you have this comfort level? And I was I wasn't jealous or envious, but I was definitely hopeful and wishing that I had that. And now mm-hmm. that I've been out for a while and I can look back at my journey and I think, oh, I wish I knew this when I was 20. I wish I had accepted myself and and know that I the only control I have is to be a decent human being, a loving person. I can't control who I love and who, you know, I mean, till this day, I can't control who I love. I fall in love with some very interesting people. Let me tell you. <laughs> um,
1: well, so the nobody, other day when. The other day when we met, you said something very interesting, which I totally agree with now. You said, if I had known, I would have come out when I was five. Oh, sweet Jesus.
0: And I knew yeah. when I was five. I remember yeah. having a crush on a second grader and I was thinking, I thought he was so beautiful. I didn't know what to call it. Um, but, oh my, yeah, it would have just been so easier, so much easier. Also, yeah. we had the opportunity to uh, act on those things. You know, like, you know, kissing a boy. Yeah, the first time I kissed a boy, I was 20 years so, old. Technically, we were both men. Um, but you know, all those, the butterflies, like you said, that excitement, like you hold his hand. I remember my first boyfriend took me to a gay bar in San Francisco, and I was afraid to hold his hand in the bar. (laughs) And looking back now, I think to myself, oh my God, you poor thing. You were so brainwashed and you had been controlled to a degree that you couldn't even be yourself. Now, can you imagine you're walking in with all this baggage and then you fall in love with someone and you're supposed to be in a loving, communicative relationship. It's not happening. You've yeah. got layers and layers to peel. So if you happen to have, if you've been lucky to have gay children, keep this conversation in mind. There's this great book, by the way, titled Oddly Normal. And it's about a family who discovered their child is gay at a very young age. And you see the turmoil they went through and how the schools were handling it and how they wanted to just medicate him. And he was like, no, no, no. And at one point I was listening to the audiobook, and the father said something, there's nothing wrong with my son. I just happened to have a fabulous five-year-old. Oh, <laughs> when I read that, I swear to you, it was like someone punched me in the gut. I, I thought how much easier would my life have been if somebody would have just realized, oh, so just, just a fabulous five-year-old. Yeah, You know, I was never suicidal per se, but I do remember when I was about 14, I would climb the roof of our house and I would think to myself, what would happen if I jumped? Now looking back, probably wouldn't die because it's not enough of a drop. (laughs) But (laughs) at that time I didn't have enough. And I remember thinking, would they miss me? Would my family even miss me? And Mm -hmm. I think looking back in addition to the gay thing and my upbringing and my family turmoil, it was my cry for attention and a desire to wanna feel loved. And so can you imagine at 20 years old, I have this foundation of abandonment, a desire to feel loved. And then you go and enter the gay world, which (laughs) is a hurricane into itself. And then you meet another person who has their baggage and their rejection, and we're trying to love each other. And it's impossible. And this is why we have so many dysfunctional relationships in the gay community, because none of us, or a lot of us, having quite dealt with the trauma of neglect, mm-hmm. abandonment, rejection, whatever. So,
1: or you're or you're constantly dealing with it. It's something that you deal with for a time, and then it reoccurs, and you have to deal with it again. It's like those reoccurring, chronic um, shame habits that we have.
0: Yeah. So after two years of taking a tour of the gay world, you're
1: like, I kind of like it here. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I mean, I was still conflicted, but I was hooked. And yeah. I, I knew that there was no going back. Um, but I, I also led worship at the Metropolitan Community Church in Denver. So I was doing that. It was a very liberal church, obviously. It's the gay church. And so I was still, you know, dealing with both sides until I was 29. And then at that point, I met a friend who kind of just uh, introduced me to some thinking pretty much new age kind of Buddhist thinking that that freed me from believing. It It showed me a bigger picture of God, the God that I had grown up with and been friends with my whole life. It showed me a bigger picture and showed me that he was not wanting me to feel guilty about who I was. He never wanted me to feel guilty about who I was or what I did, or he just wanted me to be real and be honest and be happy. And, and it was almost overnight actually when i was 29 that that realization honestly set me free from all of the guilt of my and and like you said that's when i really started beginning to take off the layers of baggage and shame
0: yeah and it's true it's i find it interesting that they preach that god made you and that you're good and you're right unless you're gay and it's just Mm -hmm. like you you can't do that you can't say that god made me and everything that god makes is right and then tell me that i'm wrong for being this way you know i remember people arguing that oh you have a choice i came out at 20 and i remember telling a really this was like a father figure for me uh, my martial arts instructor i did martial arts for a really long time and he was one of the first people i told and he said well let me think about this and i remember i thought you can't teach me to stand on my own And then expect me to back down. And I said to him, there's nothing for you to think about. I'm letting you know who I am. And I now can look back and think, where did I even find those words? Like, I have no idea. But there was something in me that was saying, no, I'm not going to back down. Um, But, I mean, let me tell you, I've been to plenty of therapy. At this point, physical therapy, shock therapy, hypnotherapy. Anything I could do to help me be more in tune with who I am. And finding out where did I pick up these things that made me feel less and made me feel inadequate. And it's amazing what sits in your subconscious. I recommend hypnotherapy to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so then 29, you start to peel these layers and you're like, this is this is it. I'm here. I feel welcome. I'm, I'm, I feel home. Um, when, how old were you when you first fell in love with a male?
1: Um, I fell in love at 26, actually. Um, yeah, with what Jerome. Was
0: what was that like? Yeah.
1: Um, He he was just probably one of the most uh, genuine and, uh, you know, he he really knew who he was and loved himself so much. And that was, I mean, that sounds stupid but he loved himself so much. He knew who he was and loved who he was. And that allowed him to love everybody else. And he really did. And that was so beautiful to me. And we fell in love. And the only thing was, like we're talking about those layers, it was just really difficult for me to, to be faithful <laughs> at 26 when I had just come out. But, yeah. but I will say I did fall in love with him very, very and deeply. Think, and I think you
0: just, uh, when you nailed it too, when you said him accepting who he was allowed him to love others for who they were. And that's another thing that gets missed in the, when people uh, cons- uh, attack gay people for being gay, they're focusing on one thing and that it's just the bedroom. And it's like, do you understand if this person can wholly be who they are, they can one, better present themselves into the world and they can take in what the world has to offer. Well, yeah. have you met me at 20, I was a disaster of a person. I wasn't this comfortable with myself. I had so many walls. Originally, they were there to protect me, but eventually they were isolating me. And it took a lot of work to be like, this is who I am. And even now I I do stand-up comedy and I would do a show and I'll throw in a gay joke or two. And people are like, oh, too much. You need to tone it down and ooh, they're not ready for that. You would think I was talking about fisting. I'm like, I just talked about (laughs) kissing a straight man. Jesus Christ, calm down. Um, and, And I now as a fully grown adult, have to be mindful that i don't let those words creep in the back of my head because then they start to alter the way i perform on stage and then i get told oh you need to be more yourself yeah i tried being myself and you all had an opinion and now that i'm filtering it you also have an opinion it's like it never ends and i wish people would realize like oh keep your opinions for yourself
1: (laughs) well what i what i learned from jerome um affected me so much and i i began to be happy at that time i i found myself being happy being freeing myself from the guilt of the church and everything and then i remember one conversation that i had with uh, a woman who was in the church and she was like a mother figure to me when i was growing up and and she said something in an email to me that the the premise was very loving um and I know that she loves me very much, but the whole email was basically how how she wanted so badly for me to go back to the fold, back to the back to the church where I had grown up, and and she kind of referred to me as the prodigal son. I don't know if you know that story, but the prodigal son who leaves and then he comes home in in complete and utter uh, having hit rock bottom to the to the fold, back to his father. And she was saying how I needed to do that. And, and at one point she said, I would cut off my right arm for you to come back to the, to the church and be who you were. And I was like, I was so unhappy. I was so unhappy for so many years in that church. Why would you, why would you want me to come back to that? And she hadn't even asked if I was happy she just assumed that I was unhappy because I wasn't doing what she, you know what I mean? Yeah, her, and her it,
0: version of happiness, not even considering or factoring how you might be feeling. But that goes to show, I mean, this is the problem I have with people who are this religious. Again, I know three really good religious people who I love. They're like my favorite people on the planet, and they carry themselves in such a way that I think, wow, oh. wow had I been around this type of religious people, I probably would be religious myself. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, at least in the Catholic religion, they give you the costumes, the songs, the you know all the props. But it's so weird when you think about it, it's like, I'd rather you come back to this, either A, not factoring that you were unhappy or B, not caring that you're unhappy because that's the role they're used to seeing you in. And it's mm-hmm. so shocking. Like, I might hear that stuff. I feel like, did you hear what you just said? Have you lost mm-hmm. your mind?
1: Wow. Yeah, you know? no. And I, I have to add also that that was one person. I, I also have so many people in my life from the church that are wonderful people that are very loving, very accepting and, and truly exemplify what I think the church should be. So I don't, that one experience with that one person does not.
0: Not every Christian
1: does. is a bad Christian. Not all. <laughs> I, know, I know very many great Christians.
0: When that's good. And it is always refreshing when I do see that I feel like, oh, wow, for this person, religion worked. You know. Mm-hmm. And I, I can honestly say, had I experienced religion in a different way, I made, by myself would be religious. But at this point, I saw it as a way to manipulate and control other people. So mm-hmm. I, I take from religion, when I read the Bible, I'm not going to say I read it from beginning to end. Um, but when I did read the Bible, what I walked away, from and I remember talking to my friend who's very religious I said this is what I have so far God is good God made you in his image and anything that takes you away from feeling good or loving you're spraying away from God that's what I walked away from that was it And I was like so whenever I find myself behaving in a manner that isn't loving whether that is internalized homophobia internal hatred insecurity whatever it is towards myself or towards others i'm straying away from god so that's that's what i walked away from you know i I mean i had a lot of questions how long how old was noah how long did he live for how many (laughs) wait a minute what and you know and and i had people who would explain to me it's like you're seeing time as what you know time to be and it was very interesting here to hear other people's take on that stuff um so now fast forward uh how are you with religion? Do you still believe in God or do you still pray or do you just like being on your knees? Come on, be honest.
1: <laughs> um, no comments on the last part, but, um, <laughs> but um, I, I'm not religious at all. No, I don't believe in, in the church, in the organized church. Like I said, I have a lot of friends who, who are ministers and, and a part of the church and, and I love and respect them and we, we are very good friends. But I just consider myself basically spiritual and I see God as a guide. Um, I don't know how to define him or her, um, but but yeah, not religious at all.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Now, how do you, I mean, I, there are beautiful things about the, the teachings of God. I believe some of those messages should be taught and I, you should be kind to your others and you mm-hmm. should do all these other things. Are there things that you've taken that, you kind of use and help you cope
1: oh my gosh yeah i um i have a friend actually who she is now um works for the oklahoma city thunder and she's like a i don't know she basically coordinates all of the sales representatives and and we were talking about how what we learned in the church basically formed us to be able to um be polite to people how to, uh, you know, just have respect for your elders, how to, all of these things that I learned in the church that I that I never would have learned, um, being respectful, being committed, uh, following through, um, you know, the basic things, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of those things I attribute to my parents and, and growing up in the church. So when... Sometimes I've been at the place in my life where I just reject all of it. Yeah. And yet I have to come back to the fact that, you know, 90% of the good person that I am came from my upbringing in the church and the people that I met, uh, my father, my mother, my senior minister, all those people, um, and what they instilled in me as being a good person, but also being social and being, uh, gregarious um, yeah i attribute that to to the church and my life in the church
0: so anyone who is listening to this right now and <laughs> let's say they are very religious and they are having conflicting emotions about the gay community either it could be their own child or someone they know or a sibling what would you say to someone like that being that you've walked both paths and you have to deal with the the um what's at the words i'm the nothing it's kind of like the fallout of you coming out, what would you say to someone who is like, gay is bad and they're sinners? Do you have anything you would say to someone like that?
1: Somebody that's actually gay and still in the church? Somebody that's
0: heterosexual and oh. maybe is having conflicting emotions because their child is gay or their sibling oh. is gay. Well, <sighs> what don't they know that would maybe help them understand a little bit more and maybe show more compassion or um,
1: The only... The only thing that I can compare it to and, and the advice that I can give is I know there was a, a specific family that I was so involved with at the church that I worked with. Um, the mother is one of my best friends and then her two boys. And when I came out, it was like a fallout for, for so many of us in the core of that church and everyone reacted to it differently. But that family specifically basically uh, decided to just stay with me. They didn't know that they didn't know how it was going to turn out. They didn't know if they were going to end up turning their back on me or if they were going to end up, but they just wanted to stay with me because they believed in me and didn't want to lose me. And um, I kind of think that's what allows people who are um, on the fence about it. If you know someone and you see the struggle that, that we've gone through, you can't just write it off because they saw how hard it was for me. And, um, and they just stayed with me. And through the years, they have, you know, changed their views on so many things because we've gone through all of these things together. And I commend them for just, you know, believing in me and wanting to be, uh, basically family with me enough to to question you know the the validity of all of their um, really you know harsh views about yeah. homosexuality and so I don't know I you just have to look at it and and see if you can write off all of the people that you know um, because if you look at people's lives and people's what they're really dealing with, you'll see that, it's not easy for anyone to come out. It's, uh...
0: Well, I think this is an area where we also play a role. And this is one of the things that I got from seeing, uh, watching the film Milk, about Harvey Milk. He was like, we need to come out. They think gay is this thing that's out there. But once they know a gay person, once they know a Muslim person, whatever it is that you think is an other, once you're around it and you see, and you humanize this person, You know, then it it is a little harder for them because they it's like, wait, I know this guy. This guy is not those things. So clearly what you think being gay is and what this person is, those things are not matching. So we play a role. And as much as, you know, I don't want to go into the suburbs. I don't want to be stared at. I mean, there are certain things I'm just like, if I was on a box dancing in my underwear, I don't mind you staring. But you, know, you go to the suburbs <laughs> and you, you go to the Mall of America, whatever it is, and people figure out you're gay, they kind of give you this look or they'll call you something. But we also need to be out, we need to be present. So people break away this idea of what they think being gay is. Yeah. You know? And this is why also even representation is so important. When I was a kid, there was nothing on television. Nowadays, there are gay characters everywhere. It's like, oh, I am this thing. Okay, got it. And, you know, they're not all dying. They're not all hairdressers and makeup artists. They're
1: not the joke.
0: Yeah, they're not the joke. I mean, I saw some 90s TV that I was like, wow, it wasn't that long ago and we were doing that. So we are making so much progress. But you're you're right. It's it's, the lesson, come out. Come out to everyone. Let people who are not used to or not around Uh, gay people get to know us we have to go into the suburbs and throw an occasional party for them
1: Um, but and even even i would say because like i said there were so many people in that core with me at the church when i came out that i'm still in the periphery of like they follow me on social media kind of and we stay in touch in that way and maybe they're not um you know maybe they haven't evolved as much as these other friends that i have but they still see me, and I think they're still um, aware of of my life. And I, it does. I don't know because I don't talk to them that much. But I know that they're watching. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that's important. They're they can't deny that I'm that I'm happy. Yeah. That you know what I mean? And I think that's that I'm happy and that I'm successful and that I love my the people in my life. And and I think it's important, like you said, just to to continue to show people that because they are watching.
0: Yeah, no, and you're, you're absolutely right. And at the end of the day, all we can do, whenever I'm around my nieces and nephews, and I have a ton of them, I'm Latino, um, I try to be myself, especially around my nieces, because I want them to know if the way I can be a good example to you, to be who you are, is for me to be who I am. So the the plus of that is that they can always come to me. The negative side of that is sometimes my nieces will ask me questions and I'm like, really? I need to, (laughs) why am I being asked this question? Can somebody else answer this question? But I'm glad that they can say, oh, Uncle Sergio, I can say to Uncle Sergio, and he's not going to judge me. And I don't, I want them, I always put it back on them and give them that thing of what is it that you want? How do you feel? And like, accept those things and then act on that. So good. Well, uh, I'm glad to see that you came out and you are proud and And as someone who struggled with coming out of the closet and, you know, I prayed a lot. I cried a lot. I wanted to be like my brother. My brother was very popular with the girls and I was like, I would pray. I, you know, I want to be like my brother. I want to be like my brother. And it took a long time for me to be comfortable with who I am to embrace everything about me. And every now and then I see that there's some still like some internalized homophobia that I'm carrying. And it's, good to you know it's it's nice to hear somebody else it's like oh wow here's another person who went through this journey so thank you for sharing the journey um and i'm just so happy that you you did come out and that Mm -hmm. we met and we started chatting and all of a sudden here we are doing Mm -hmm. this podcast so
1: well i feel very lucky to have come out because i know people like me in growing up in the church that didn't come out and you know I, I don't judge them but I just feel really happy with who I am and I feel so lucky that I you know took that turn
0: yeah no definitely now I'm not sure if you guys can hear it or not but there is someone blowing a leaf blower or doing something outside my window if you can hear it I apologize it's none of my toys it's someone outside <laughs> um, now we're going to do a quick little rapid fire see what comes to mind and just answer them All right. Ready? Um, What's one thing you want to improve about yourself?
1: Financial stability.
0: If you could get rid of one thing in the world, what would it be? Insecurity. What do you wish people knew about you that they don't?
1: That I am a songwriter.
0: Finish this sentence. I feel most insecure when?
1: When I am in a situation that I am not prepared for.
0: Finish this sentence. I feel most confident when?
1: When I'm in costume and I'm on stage. Nice. Right. What's your
0: definition of love?
1: Uh, safety, security.
0: If you could hmm. go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Anywhere.
1: Anywhere in the world. I think I would go to Bali. Ooh.
0: Your I happy song go.
1: is. Um, happy
0: by Pharrell by Williams.
1: Pharrell, yes, that's a great song. <laughs>
0: What's a hidden challenge you possess?
1: I can split my tongue into three. Pink. What? <laughs>
0: We're not going to explore
1: that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would you tell your fifteen-year-old self?
1: Um, relax, relax, and be yourself, and Don't listen to the people that are around you. Listen to yourself.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Caleb, for doing the podcast. Um, I, I have to say, I feel like a genuine happiness having had this discussion with you. Um, And I hope anyone who is struggling with their sexuality, or even if you're not struggling, if you know someone who is, realize the internal struggle we go through to just try and show up. Mm-hmm. and then everyone around you is telling you that you're not good that you're not right and then you're expected to behave as if you were brought up in an environment where there was support and encouragement when the reality is a lot of gay people don't have that
1: yeah. i the one thing i've learned is we are free to be happy yeah we are, we are just free to be happy and a lot of times we don't learn that but we are
0: yeah definitely well, excellent. That is it for now, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time. All right. Bye. Thanks, Sergio. Bye. We, we all have a story. story. What's, What's yours? yours? What's yours?